0: Hi, you're listening to Conversations with Musicians with Leia Roseman. Interviews about a life in music. In episode 4, season 1, I spoke with arhu player Patty Chan, and during the call she demonstrated different types of arhus and we spoke about traditional Chinese music and her role as artistic director of the Toronto Chinese Orchestra and different initiatives she started including the publication of the first English language book about the arhu if you enjoy this podcast please follow and share and you can be notified of all the new episodes coming out with a wonderful diversity of musicians hi welcome to episode 4 of conversations with leah today i have an arhu player teacher innovator patty chan hi hi so we met in 2014. It was a collaboration with the orchestra. Do you remember that? Yes.
1: It seems like a long, long time ago, but also very recent at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Was- I
0: was in a string quartet and you were the soloist and uh, it was just a wonderful emerging and the, and the kids were playing. Mm-hmm. And um, so you wrote a book 10 years ago. Yes. Um, Bridging the Gap, right? Playing Arhu, Bridging the Gap. Can you talk about that?
1: Well, it's an instruction uh, book for Urhu players and uh, like for beginner erhu players, and it was the first book that was written in English, and uh, so it teaches both staff notation and also jampu notation.
0: And I read a little bit about jampu notation, but I'm sure a lot of people don't know what that is.
1: Okay, jianpu notation is a simplified numbered notation. Mm -hmm. So um, that is predominantly what is being used in China right now even. And um, it was actually brought into China uh, supposedly in the 1800s or so um, by French missionaries who wanted to teach a simple system of uh, teaching people how to sing hymns.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so it's a numbered notation. So one is do two is Ray and it goes on and uh, it's a movable do system too
0: mm-hmm. so our most is most chinese music does it keep to the one key so that works pretty well
1: no we change keys okay <laughs> and so you have to every time the key changes then the do moves to a different place and wow so, yeah there's an adjusting <laughs> an adjustment um but it's all based on the major scale so um it's like you know g key so uh, G is do or G is 1,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then you count up that way. And the uh, tones and semitones are based on the major scale. So it's, it's not too difficult.
0: And the rhythms are also notated kind of mathematically, right? And a very different than traditional Western notation?
1: Uh, actually, you can see the relationship when you see them side by side. So if you have eighth notes and they're connected by a beam on top, Mm-hmm. Um, you have a uh, one line underneath the two numbers, and that that would be a, a, a pair of eighth notes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so you have um, a four beat note, a whole note. Uh, you would write the number or the the degree of that note, and then three dashes afterwards. So you count four beats. So the note, mm-hmm. and then two, three, four. So things there's some some things that are quite quite close.
0: Mm-hmm. I've always been curious about um, Chinese bowed instruments because they're, you know, I'm a violinist, so they're kind of similar, but super different. And the first time I think I heard one, well, I might've heard George Gao play with the National Arts Center Orchestra before that. And I believe you studied with him.
1: Yes, yes, he was my teacher.
0: Wow, okay. But I went um, to China in 2003. Actually, one of our children is adopted from China. So we went to the Temple of Heaven uh, Big Park where people just do all kinds of really fun stuff, and there was a corner where all these people were playing the erhu, and they were just um, super loud and all in their corner playing different tunes. It was really chaotic and wonderful. And in general, I just felt like maybe in that culture, people are less embarrassed about doing stuff in public. Like I can't imagine most Canadians like just feeling free to practice their dancing or learning an instrument in a public like that.
1: Oh, I think yes, it's very commonplace uh, practice in China that um, you have people of all ages, they go to the parks, and then they go and they do group dancing.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: uh, They do, they do a lot of Chinese opera uh, music, and they do pop music, and it's a place where they all socialize and also enjoy, enjoy their outdoors.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I've heard that in that, like, I had a friend who was living there for many years and she said it was just normal at a dinner party that you'd ask your friends to sing and people were very open about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's a really wonderful, wonderful thing. So I have so many questions for you, but I'd love to hear some music and I'm sure people are very curious.
1: Okay. So I'll start off, I'll play, um, a piece for Arhu and, uh, I'll, I'll show you what the Arhu looks like and talk a little bit about that before I play. Great, thank you. So the erhu is part of the Wuqin family, it's the bowed string family uh, in the Chinese orchestra. So this is what it looks like, and uh, this is the sound box. So starting on the top, this this these are the two tuning pegs, and it's a D string. This is the D string. This is the A string. These are little fine tuners. That's actually from violins. <laughs> And there's two strings, this is called the qianjin. So you don't press on the string above the qianjin, you press below. Mm -hmm. And this is actually adjustable to your hand size. So For little children, we usually move this down and then their fingers can be placed closer together to play. The bow is trapped between the two strings. So we never (laughs) lose our bow. (laughs) And uh, the bow is made out of bamboo on this side, and then just horsetail hair on the inside and we, I call this the frog as well <laughs> and there's the tip of the bow and the sound comes out from the back of the instrument
2: mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and the sound box is usually covered in uh, snake skin, mm-hmm. python snake skin but mine is synthetic skin. Mm-hmm. I have some other instruments over there that are uh, python snake skin though. Mm-hmm. So this is eco-friendly, I can take it with me when I travel, it's a lot easier. And as you can see there's a tiny little bridge there that separates the two strings and then this is a damper that kind of helps prevent any uh, harsh sounds.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so this is, um, I'll, I'll just sit back here so you can see a little bit better. So when I press on the strings, I press on both strings at the same time and there's, unlike the violin, there's no fingerboard. So I have to be really careful how, how hard I press the strings because it can go out of tune if I press a little bit too hard. So, so you can hear the, the pitch just change even though I'm at the same position.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I'm gonna just play a, a short melody. It's called Green Island Serenade. And this is a, a 1950s, uh, piece that was uh I think it was cr- uh, composed for film
2: okay. <laughs>
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you. So this is the arhu. I'll put it away. Would you like me to go to the other instruments
0: too? Very much. Yeah. Show (laughs) us the family. Okay. So if any of you are listening to the podcast version of this, you can go back later and check out the video version. Okay. (laughs) So this is called the gahu. And as you can see
1: it's quite similar to the Arhu. It still has two strings. Um, the soundbox is a little bit different. it's circular and this is played predominantly in southern provinces of China mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, played mostly with Cantonese opera and also it was uh, it's also used in Chinese orchestras for the higher registers. So this would be the first violin. Mm-hmm. The ARHU is usually the second violin okay so again, the sound comes out of the back, and there's two versions. So this is a more contemporary version. It's used more in orchestras. So the the uh, traditional Cantonese uh, opera version, uh, you play between your legs. Mm-hmm. You don't play on the, with the instrument on the lap. And so the legs actually adjust with uh, the timbre, they, it, it mutes the instrument sometimes, and mm-hmm. it, it lets you control how the sound is released because again the sound comes out of the back so sometimes your leg is covering this Mm -hmm. part so it changes the timbre a bit Mm -hmm. but uh, to play this is uh, tuned to G and D Mm -hmm. and uh, this is actually real python (laughs) snakeskin and um, so this is what it sounds like Is higher pitch mm-hmm. than the erhu, and it's also uh, bright, brighter in the higher register. Because the erhu, as you get higher, generally the sound gets weaker and weaker mm-hmm. towards the higher pitch. So that's why this is used for the higher
0: pitch notes. I have a couple of questions. Um, sure. So with the very popular Butterfly Lovers Violin Concerto, mm-hmm. the ornaments are notated. Yes. Yeah. So is there, are the ornaments you're playing, I I imagine sometimes it's improvised, but sometimes are they notated in tunes? Yes, Mm -hmm. they are. Um,
1: It depends on the composer and uh, it depends on your teacher as well as 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 to how uh, the ornaments are added. Mm -hmm. And so from each different region in China, they have different types of ornamentation. So you really have to study the certain regions and how they sing because mm-hmm. all the ornamentation comes from folk songs as well. So it imitates the voice, it imitates how people sing. And that is affected by the dialect and their own
0: customs. Mm-hmm. And the other question I was wondering about, so in Chinese opera I've heard it's with a lot of vibrato to really carry the sound. So in Western European music, we, as far as we know, vibrato kind of developed later um, especially with violin playing, it wasn't used that much before. But is there, do we know with traditional Chinese instruments, was a vibrato used for a long time? Um, for,
1: for opera, actually, the, the type of singing is not quite, it's not quite vibrato. There's a lot of, uh, it undulates a lot, oh, Okay. but it's not really a vibrato. It's more like ornamentation. The sound is actually projected very, very strongly. Mm-hmm. And so with, I guess what you think is vibrato is actually a note that has been, there's ornamentation added to it after it's sung.
0: Okay. Yeah. But you're using traditional vibrato that looks very similar to what I would do on violin.
1: Yeah. And uh, we've always pretty much had vibrato, but there's different types of vibrato as well for mm-hmm. the Chinese instrument because uh, for the erhu, because we don't have a fingerboard, there's a, something called a pressure vibrato. Mm-hmm. which is really, really interesting because it uh, it actually makes it sound more like a human voice in that you can have uh, depth to the vibrato that can uh, express intense emotion, so like sobbing,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: crying, and so Arhu actually is really well known for crying, mm-hmm. <laughs> really, really sad, sad pieces. I'll, I'll show you that later too.
0: Yeah, so you have another. sorry, I interrupted your uh, wonderful um, oh, no, no, that's things. okay,
1: that's okay, that's okay, I can show you the, the pressure vibrato um, uh, later on, on uh, later
0: with the ARHU as well. Yeah, why don't you show us now? Okay. <laughs>
1: okay, so on the pressure vibrato, don't sit down, <laughs> it's, again, press, pressing really hard on the string, and you can mm-hmm. see, if I press a little bit harder, this I don't know if you noticed, but the mm-hmm. string can move. Right? So if I. There's a piece called um, The River of Sorrow, which uh, I love, and it has a lot of the pressure vibrato in it. Um, Let's see.
0: bipod. oh you play so expressively I could listen to that all day it's really beautiful thank you yeah. um, I, I, do you have more instruments to show us before I have yep more questions okay Two more. So, Two more. great <laughs> okay. so this is a bigger
1: version so this uses a bigger snake <laughs> this mm-hmm. is the Zhonghu okay which is kind of like the viola of the, of the Western Orchestra. it um, And uh, like all the other Hu instruments, it has two strings, bow in between. Same concept, but this was actually um, created for the orchestra. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you realize, but the Chinese Orchestra is very young.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: Chinese Orchestra is only about 100 years old. Okay. And so this instrument wasn't made until like the 1940s or so. Um, and it was created maybe even later, it was created for the uh, the Chinese orchestra and because to fill in the gap between the low and the higher instruments and so there's not actually that many solo pieces written for this instrument mm-hmm. because it's usually used to support the orchestra. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it sounds this low, so it's the G and D uh, of the violin actually. Mm-hmm.
0: That's so beautiful, but, you know, I think any violist listening will agree. They have, I mean, the viola has been around for 500 years or more, but they don't have much solo music written, but I think it's mostly to do with the timbre, right? Cause it doesn't project as well. Right.
1: And it's really just the first, you know, couple of octaves that you can mm-hmm. get good sound out of it. And then again, it, it just dies away. It's mm-hmm. uh, in sound like volume and also the quality. Um, so the strongest really is within the first position.
0: Mm-hmm
1: have the strongest notes.
0: So now I imagine we have a cello, like.
1: <laughs> well, I don't. I don't own one, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but in the Chinese orchestra, we actually a lot of uh, orchestras use cellos and double basses
2: mm-hmm.
1: because we haven't quite so far. I mean, there's there's still debate. We haven't really found something that matches uh, the Chinese orchestra that well, and we just love the cello and double bass. They're and they're doing so well, but. Um, I think the Hong Kong Chinese Orchestra have developed uh, new instruments that are, I guess, more like the Hu Chin family. They do have four strings, but I think instead of python snakeskin, they use wood. And Mm -hmm. so they're trying to develop and create a sound that they think is, I guess, appropriate for the Chinese orchestra.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Wow. So Um actually, my last instrument is uh, from the Huqin family but it's from the northern side of China and uh, it's quite different from from these instruments. So I'll just show you that one.
0: Fantastic thank you so much.
1: It's a super super loud instrument. <laughs> um, this is from northern China and they use it in uh, operas, uh, little, little um, small ensembles type of uh, uh, music and also uh, they use this in folky type of pieces when composers want to add a folk style to their composition uh, in the Chinese orchestra and usually uh, it really comes out <laughs> above all the others, other other uh, bowed string instruments. So this is called the Banhu and again, it has two uh, tuning pegs. It's they have uh, actually different ranges as well. So this one is tuned to DNA and but they have some that are tuned a little bit lower, A to E. And um, that one is just another, um, it, it sounds very similar to this. It's the Alto Banhu, so this is a soprano one. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, it's not snakeskin, skin. And uh, bond actually means wood, like a mm-hmm. piece of wood. And so this is a piece of wood. It has the same bridge. And then there's the opening at the back. The interesting thing is, would you know what this part is made out of? No idea. It's made out of a coconut shell.
0: Oh okay. Yeah
1: so um, that's it's different from the other sound boxes which are just made from wood mm-hmm. so they use a coconut shell for this and so um, it has a surprisingly loud <laughs> uh, loud sound and so I have to you know be careful with my neighbors but it's it's uh, very to me it's a very happy happy instrument and uh, very joyful and it's usually played with a lot of ornamentation as well so I'll just play so those are plus the DNA
0: It woke everybody up. <laughs> <laughs> but coconuts wouldn't grow in northern China. They must bring them up there to make that? For some reason they have coconuts there. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And actually they, they also have uh, coconuts, of course, in the, in the southern parts of China where they have developed an instrument uh, called the Yehu and they do use a coconut shell but it's uh, they use a seashell shell for the bridge. And that instrument actually is lower in pitch and also more mellow. So I think somehow it traveled up to the north, but then they, they changed the, uh, the the sound, the sound quality
0: that came up, mm-hmm. comes out of the instrument. Yeah. Wonderful. Do you want to put that down here? <laughs> okay. OK, so I wanted to talk, um, you lead the Ch- Toronto Chinese Orchestra.
1: Yes. Uh, the Toronto Chinese Orchestra has been around actually since 1993 mm-hmm. and um, that's when it started and I joined at that time and uh, so I've over the years uh, you know we've played mostly traditional music and it really depended on the demographics of the people as well and so um, as time went by um, I it, it was actually the Pivotal year was two thousand and eight when I went to Hong Kong with some other members of the orchestra, and I it was a Chinese orchestra music festival, and it was the first one that I think was international,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so I going there it was my first time seeing all the different Chinese orchestras from different areas, and uh, that they were all performing their music, and I was just astounded by wow this is what it should be or this is what it can be. Mm-hmm. And so after that I came back, I brought music back, and uh, I wanted to um, make changes here and see what our potential could be. Um, Initially it was bringing music back from Asia and trying to play the music here, but then gradually I thought, well, we're in Canada, why not, you know, try to encourage Canadian composers to write for these instruments and for the orchestra Mm -hmm. and uh, see how we can develop our own identity. And I think that has possibly captured the attention of some some uh, people in China and Asia, where they think, oh, you know, you have your own music. Well, that's interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. Let's
1: hear what the music is like. And so I think I think that's really important for us to continue um, developing in North America, not just always rely on Asia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I've been I've been working hard. Like I've become the music director, and so. Um, I've been working hard, trying to find ways of doing these things.
0: Yeah, if anyone's listening who lives in Toronto and is interested in joining, I'll have links to all Patty's um, things in, in the description of the video um, and the podcast. So, um, is it mostly adults in the Toronto Chinese Orchestra or is it a mixture? It's a
1: mixture. Um, so, I wanted to actually like meet all the needs of the community, basically. And so we formed a training orchestra. So one is, in, one is a youth, actually, training orchestra, and the other one is a community training orchestra, which is for adults and seniors that, you know, they, they've learned how to play, but they want to play together. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, training them how to, um, you know, read music and play together as an ensemble, follow a conductor, all those things. Um, and we also have the main orchestra, which is actually mostly young adults. So we have people in university, people that have just graduated. So many people are in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of the old guys there. <laughs> so um, the it, it's, it's really interesting how, um, you know, people in high school in their 20s, their 30s, they're all playing together in this ensemble, mostly.
0: Do you find with people playing at that level that they have um, experience with different instruments before? Or do some of them just start on these instruments?
1: Um, Some have just started on those instruments. Like Some had learned these instruments um, prior in Taiwan or China Mm -hmm. and some have learned here. Um, For the training ensembles, most of them have learned here, Um, so in the the community classes or they found teachers here and they studied here. Um, But in our orchestra, we have a mix of local born Chinese, um, so they learned here. And then we have some uh, immigrants from China, Taiwan, etc., Singapore, and uh, we have some non-Chinese as well.
0: Mm, yeah, and you also run the Center for Music Innovation.
1: That's right. <laughs> so that that's uh, a recent uh, project of mine where I want to actually uh, bridge the gap in another way, um, bring uh, Chinese videos of. Um, orchestras, like Chinese orchestras in Taiwan, mostly. um, They have these really, really high quality videos. And I found that, well, nobody can access them if they don't uh, read Chinese. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was really important to translate these videos into English, um, the program notes, the composer, the performers, and uh, make it accessible to English readers. So it's similar to, to my book where it's bringing accessibility to English readers. And then this way they can uh, listen to the, listen and watch these recordings and also understand um, the, the program notes, like, and understand how the composer thought, and um, I guess their, their reason for writing the piece and everything.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really, really great. Um, so I'm curious, during the pandemic, have you been teaching online? Yes
1: <laughs> yes, um, I found that a lot of people because they're stuck at home, uh, some people have decided you know I want to learn a musical instrument and so um, I've actually my online uh, number of students has really grown. I've had I have students from all over the states, um, some in Canada, I've had some from Europe
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they're they're interested in learning there are who
0: yeah. Were some of them string, like violin or cellists before? Um, A couple were violinists
1: before. Um, There's a harp player, there's other guitar players.
0: There's, uh, yeah, all different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Well, I think for a lot of us during this uh, time of the pandemic, just, I think music has been such a solace and an escape too, from the situation. Have, Have you been writing any music?
1: I've been arranging some music for my group classes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, writing any music recently, no. It's mostly arranging so that um, my group classes, they can, th- we meet regularly. And so I, I create a, uh, a, it's almost like a first who part, second who part, mm-hmm. and uh, they would practice their parts and then they would try to put it together for a video.
0: Mm-hmm. So things like that. I've seen quite a few of your um, wonderful YouTube videos and they're just so beautifully done and just such detail, um, just showing everything so clearly. Oh. And also you played a, a video game um, theme
1: because oh, someone, right. <laughs>
0: one of your followers had requested that. I thought that was really neat. Right.
1: So, so that keeps me busy. <laughs> yes, I. but it's it's been a lot of fun to do that. And I, I think it's, it's a great way to make the music relevant. It's something that people recognize and then they think, oh, you know, I can play
0: that now on this new instrument. Do you ever play any Western music? I know it's limiting because of just two strings, but.
1: Um, I have done some Western music, but uh, not as much. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, a, I think there's a video I've done with uh, Marjolin uh, for Western piece,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I was curious about your just your practice routine. Do you have certain warm-ups you like to do, or the you know any kind of sort of technical exercises you sort of go to every day that, that sort of center your technique? Or
1: definitely, it's the scales, <laughs> the scales and arpeggios, and uh, there's, there's a lot of studies also that are written. Um, there are traditional studies, uh, and then actually they've taken some violin studies and they've changed it so it's all for Arhu Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because you let me just see (laughs) I have this these two volumes Mm -hmm. of books and these are all violin studies Mm -hmm. and they've been um so we have (laughs) Kreuzer oh really wow (laughs) so like these are all written for (laughs) Arhu it's been changed for our, hoop. so there's no G string that they and it, and it's it's been adjusted for that. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> but many notes, like I'm impressed. That must be so hard. Yes, it's very hard. <laughs> do you have a concept of positions in terms of shifting up and down oh, yeah. strings? Yeah. So
1: um, we do have to practice. Uh, th- there's there's technique books. <laughs> This is from the Shanghai Conservatory, Mm -hmm. and so uh, basically it, you know, they have all the scales Mm -hmm. and fingerings and uh, chromatic scales, everything. So, um, but this is, uh, as you notice, it's all in staff notation. Mm -hmm. So there is a transition to staff notation um, because composers are, many are Western trained. And nobody writes in jampu notation anymore as a composer, because mm-hmm. it's, it's just awkward. And so um, it's forcing a lot of musicians to have to learn uh, staff notation in order to play new music. Otherwise, you're just playing old music.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So um, I'm encouraging my students to, to read staff notation as well.
0: And in your orchestra, is it staff notation mostly?
1: Well, the funny story is, <laughs> for I guess the past over 20 years, I've many, actually, yeah, over 20 years, I've been transcribing all the notes from staff to numbered or the mm-hmm. jampu notation. And that was so time consuming because it was for all the parts that required. Wow. And so finally, it was during the pandemic, I said, this is a good time for everybody to learn how to read staff notation. And so I, I taught them online I taught people how to read the staff notation Mm -hmm. and uh, so they're able to transcribe themselves if they need to, otherwise they will learn how to play in staff notation and be flexible. So I I, I don't want to do it anymore, (laughs) it takes so much time,
0: yeah. Um, And just finally, I was curious if you had any thoughts on teaching adults versus children because I find this a pretty big difference.
1: There's a huge difference. the adults, I find they're, I mean, they're very self-motivated. They, uh, they have a goal usually and then they go towards it and they can understand concepts much more easily than children.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think for ch- children, I find it's a little bit more challenging to keep them motivated
2: mm-hmm.
1: and excited to practice. And so a, a lot of the times I'll be searching for music that they can relate to. In order to make it more interesting so aside from all the you know the studies and and exam pieces they would need to i I would sorry i would arrange music again for them to that they would recognize Mm -hmm. and so they would be happy to pick up their instrument and play or try to play that piece
0: yeah and i noticed like in the local uh, kiwanis music festival here in ottawa they now have a chinese instrument category Yes, I was the adjudicator earlier. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was so happy to see that, that that was there.
1: Yes, know. I was too. It, it's really exciting and um, it's really encouraging to see, uh, you know, young kids um, learning these instruments. There's also uh, the Central Conservatory of Music examinations that happen across Canada here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and um, the Toronto Chinese Orchestra is actually uh, is managing the Toronto area and then there's some somebody else managing the Ottawa area for these examinations. And it's been growing. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's more and more interest in uh, young people and uh, older people learning these instruments and taking the exams.
0: Well, you're such an inspiring performer and educator and innovator. It's just been wonderful to talk to you today. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Hello, Patty Chan. I believe, (laughs) as a bonus part of this conversation, you have an excellent story for us as to how you became so good at erhu and not that good at the violin. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, not so good
1: at the violin. Um, It's the story of when I was I was about twelve years old when I started uh, violin and erhu at the same time. So erhu I learned uh, from a a group, a Chinese music group downtown, and then um, violin I learned from school, and so because I was a very lazy kid (laughs) I didn't want to carry my violin and walk all the way home with it and so I would just practice my violin pieces on the arhu at home and then uh, I prepare my pieces on the arhu and then I go to school and I play it on the violin.
0: That's a really great story. (laughs) Thank you very much for everything today. Thank you. Okay bye. Bye. So here I am with uh Patty Chan and her Arhu after our interesting conversation, and we're just gonna try a little back and forth Zoom improv.
1: Okay, so I'll just make something up. <laughs>
0: This podcast had 20 episodes and season two continues with a really interesting mix of musicians talking about their lives and careers with perspectives on overcoming challenges, finding inspiration and connection through a life so enriched with music. Please follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about each new episode.